everybody, welcome to Hoodlums episode two. We made it to the second one. That's harder to do than you would imagine. Especially when you've got a couple of just straight up fucking losers like us. I didn't agree to this because I wanted to do two. I thought we were just going to do one and I could just sleep for the rest of it. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. Sleep? What? what do you mean sleep for the rest of it? Like you're going to sleep through a week? Or just... Is, is that not how you spend your week? Sleeping? Like a like hibernating like a bear? It's the best way to spend your time. But do you... Do you like lucid dream at least? What is... Or do you just prefer being in a plane of non-existence? A little bit of both. Huh. Well, I don't necessarily feel like we need to unpack that right now. Fox, how was your day today? It was so good. Uh, yeah, I did all of the things. No, all I of them. I didn't fucking know anything. Uh, went to a football game with a buddy. And then I was going to go to the gym, but I didn't feel it because it's Saturday. Hell yeah. I, I ended up going to an antique mall, believe it or not. I almost went to an antique mall. Okay. I love antique malls. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, today, uh, last week, I realized that I needed to get away from my goddamn computer and my fucking video games. And last I. Week. And I hit up a friend of mine, one of my oldest friends, and I was like, hey, we haven't done anything in a while. Do you want to go to this state park that's, you know, a couple hours outside of where I, where we live? And he was like, hell yeah, let's go. And we took off. And halfway to that state park, there was an antique mall. And we almost stopped. Like 11 o'clock in the morning, we almost just stopped at the fucking antique mall. It would have derailed our entire day. I've mm. never been in an antique mall. He was the one that wanted to go. Okay. They're the best. I, I uh, have a nautical theme in my apartment, and I decided I wanted to make a like treasure trove on the above my cabinets in my kitchen. And I go to antique malls at least once every few months and get like really cheap brass or silver or whatever, and just add to my little hoard. And it's all cheap because <laughs> everyone's selling grandma's possessions and they right. just want some drug money. So I just yeah, fucking grandma just asks time to bring in her ashes in a vase and be like, yeah. hey, how much can I get for that? <laughs> yeah. And now it's part of my treasure hoard that I have in my kitchen. Nice. Very yeah. Cool. Grandma's vase. <laughs> Not even your grandma. Someone else's grandma's vase is in your kitchen right now. Well, I... I combine all the contents of the vases into a mega vase so that if any oh. of the smaller vases fall, I don't have to clean up the mess. Wait, so you put vase in vase or do you put the contents of a vase into a big vase? I have I have a mega vase that I put all the contents into. So it's like at least 10 grandmas are in there. And if oh. I ever really need to summon a spirit, I'm hoping they'll just combine into this super powerful being. That yeah, a fucking super powerful grandma. Is that what you're? Never underestimate the power of a grandma. I'm pretty sure if you were to summon one being with the power of those ten grandmas, it would be just about as strong as a toddler. You know, they say uh, that demons run when a good man goes to war, and grandmas are the goodest people I have ever met. So Listen, imagine the wrath that they could bring down. Did you just throw some fucking Dust Bowl 1920s shit at me right there? We covered idioms last episode, okay? That your, your, your show tells over, all right? <laughs> I'm, pre I'm pretty sure he just quoted Grapes of Wrath at us. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he just some fucking Jane hit Eyre us with shit. <laughs> yeah, well, I heard it from Christ. Doctor Who, but oh, it's probably you. from something else before that. 
Yeah. Oh man, Doctor Who. I, yeah. yeah, I'm not so, gonna talk about Doctor Who. I need to watch Doctor Who. But anyway, I went to the state park. I climbed through caves and shit. My whole body hurts, and I fucking hate it because I'm fat and sad and out of touch with reality. And that's where I'm at right now. Barely up, barely breathing, barely conscious, all thanks to some fucking ibuprofen. Did you take any pictures? I did. I posted a lot of them online. Did you? Okay. Yeah. I'll post them on my Twitter after this in case anyone wants to go look at it. By the way, if you guys have any Twitters, you two, or any social media or whatever, probably plug it at the end, right? I logged into my Facebook like three years ago one time. Yeah, there you go. I don't expect you to have anything, but I know Fox uses (laughs) Twitter sometimes, and I use it a lot, so we might as well plug those near the end. And if you want, you can go look at some of the pictures I took at the state park. Pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Lots of caves and and cliffs, and sounds like a Minecraft pitch, but like it it was cool. And now I'm hurting nonstop. Good for you. That's a day. That is a day. It's a fucking day, all right. I brought home a couple goodies from the... uh, from the uh, antique mall. So yeah, what good I when I go, I usually have something in mind. Like I'm I'm a decor freak. I love decorating my apartment. I love all that kind of shit. Interior design. I kind of get off on it. You know, working in that's the, hot. In the, it is hot. Uh, working in the design industry, it's you know, in some regard, I I just kind of have an eye for it. I just go and I look, and if something jumps out at me, I want it. But um. There's been a couple pieces that have been there over the years that I've been kind of eyeballing that I was hoping I would find one. I've been looking for a really large wall clock slash, slash like a barometer, like something that um, a little older from like the 19th century. And I've seen several of them there before and I didn't find one. But I found a few art pieces, so I came home OK. I came home all right. And they've got a pretty cool little candy store in that in that antique mall, the one that I that's my favorite around here. So if I were to draw you like a renaissance era painting and the subject of the painting was a penguin with a comically large human-like penis would you stick it up in your house first of all there's so many so many things wrong with the statement that you just made renaissance penguins large penises i yeah. just it's None off of those brand. go together it's off brand it will be so much money yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I, I, what makes art famous and fucking beautiful other than subverting expectations? Right? <laughs> and Dude. To be clear, when I say Renaissance era, I don't mean topically. I just mean in style, right? And I'm, yeah. I'm not an art historian. I won't even pretend I know what the fuck I just said. But I'll you can't you what, deny it would be fire. If you get some oils and yep. you get a canvas yep. and you paint it. Yep. I'll think about it. Okay, I know what I'm doing. Tomorrow. If he rejects it, I will take it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> We're not even going to talk the logistics of getting there to you. That would good... cost way too much money to ship that fucking. I'll thing. come up there and I will get it. <laughs> okay, I am. We'll do it. I am a connoisseur of loving random random art stuff. I just recently heard about this museum that actually commissioned a couple canvases uh, from an artist, and mm. it was like they paid him like. Two hundred thousand, two hundred thousand oh, yeah. fifty dollars, and he straight up gave them two blank canvases and named them. Take the money and run. <laughs> and now they're having, and it's an art museum, and now they're trying to sue him. And I would just love to sit in on that court and them having to fight this guy and him saying artist subjective half the crap in your museum. Like you got those line drawings that are basically just. It's geometric shapes. Whoopty freaking do. I'm following in 
I, I love it. I love all that. I was reading, uh, or no, I was watching a documentary, I think, on, it was a YouTube video, and it was about people that fucked up art exhibits and how they were punished, right? Mm-hmm. And most of them were accidental, and there was this one where apparently this art exhibit was a bunch of empty cardboard boxes strewn across the floor of the art exhibit, and that mm-hmm. was it. That was the whole thing. Uh, and, and there was art from other artists, you know, on the walls and shit, as one does when they're putting together an art exhibit. But after hours, the janitor fucking grabbed the boxes, <laughs> fucking ripped them up and threw them away. <laughs> and then he was like, excuse me? They were like, that was art? That was literally fucking hundreds of thousands of dollars and you just did what? <laughs> And oh, it killed me. But like, there are so many stories of that where someone just like doesn't tie their shoe and they step on their shoelace and just suddenly their fist is going through the fucking Mona Lisa or something. Jesus. (laughs) It's so good. But just to to summarize that video, most people do not face consequences, even if they do it on purpose. Usually they just get banned from the place. I think there's been maybe one example that that video cited of someone actually facing repercussions from that. But that it's kind of fucking weird that you most, have million dollar things, but also museums steal. So mo- well, most well, of it's also insured as well. So yeah, it's exactly paid for the it's insurance. insured. And a lot of the stuff that you find in museums, especially like in our gallery nowadays, I, that the value of that has been transferred once. And that's about all you're going to get out of it. Yeah. Um. You know, if you're in like somewhere that's like an actual museum, then you're going to have a bigger problem. But most of that stuff is so protected. And so, like you said, insured that it doesn't even fucking matter. So, right. But on art note, just a little side note, I actually have a friend who buys up, uh, sometimes we go together, we'll go to um, uh, just antique malls and stuff like that, and he'll buy oil paintings, and he will add things to them. Mm-hmm. Oh. Like, he'll take, like, old Renaissance pieces or whatever, like, they're not Renaissance pieces, obviously, they're not worth anything, but they're yeah. just old, old oil paintings that are worth shit. And he'll take oils or acrylics or whatever and add to them. He'll like draw like a like a stormtrooper or like an ATST from Star Wars oh, that's in the background, cool. or like that the State totally Marshmallow Man and like the Ghostbusters, you know, the the car or whatever. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty dope. He usually he, he usually just like destroys them or gives them away to friends or something like that. It's just like a little hobby <laughs> of his. But that might be what I do instead of starting my own painting. I might just go grab a really good looking painting from somewhere and then just add like real small somewhere in the background. Just a, a fucking penguin with a comically large human esque penis. If you guys have any art talent at all, our uh, oil painting on canvas is one of the most cathartic things. It's so yeah. relaxing. I love it. Fucking Bob Ross and that shit. Let's go. Nice. Sully, how was your day today? Um, it was wasn't bad. I went to the uh, Texas State Fair, which is relatively famous with big techs and all that fried food. Um, I am not a giant fan of those w- giant money suction things, <laughs> having to pay what? to park and then pay to go in and then money One, suction fox yeah we're already, we're already, we're already down we're already down 70 bucks just from walking through the door Ugh. and then if i want to buy food there's 10 more dollars and if i want to go on any t- type of ride it's like here's five or ten more dollars like i already paid to get in here yep. and that probably just comes from the fact that when i was younger the only places the only festival type of place i ever went was like six flags where it is just an entrance fee and yep. everything's just overpriced. And the other thing I hate is the whole ticket system of 
give us cash and now you have to spend the the money you are gambling how much you want to spend and if you if you undershoot it just come get more if you overshoot it sucks to be you because you can't sell your tickets to anybody else even yep. if at a discounted rate or any other crap but I don't know. It's it's. I think it's great nostalgia. I think that I think state fairs are amazing for nostalgia, and it's amazing for spending time with people. But going like I I took my girlfriend there, so we we had a good time together. But as far as the actual things that we did and things that we ate, and we had one good meal. But as we were leaving, we had a good meal. Yeah, we had a we actually had there was this pumpkin cake thing that was shaped in the state as the state of Texas. I love pumpkin. (laughs) Don't even try to come at me about how bad pumpkin is because no, I I'm more laughing pumpkin. at how it's in the state or it's in the form yeah. of the state of Texas. It reminded me of that SpongeBob episode where they're making fun of of uh, Sandy for being fucking Texan. Yeah, that that's <laughs> Texas, man. We so much state pride despite how much garbage crap we have going on. But as we were leaving. We were like, all right, we got 10 more tickets. We need to like something more desserty on our way out. And we saw this churro stand and we're like, hell oh. yeah. And they got a churro Sunday. Oh. And I'm thinking I've had some good churros. This is state oh fair. We're going to have this great churro Sunday. And it's 10 tickets for this churro Sunday. And they give us this cup that I can fit in my hand, which is about average size. No big deal. I was expecting at least a double dip for $10. And yep. These it's they essentially just glopped on this soft serve vanilla ice cream that was reminiscent of McDonald's ninety nine cent ice cream cones. Threw that on there, put some brown food coloring to look like caramel, and then stuck these churros in there that were essentially just fried breadsticks with a little bit of cinnamon sugar on it. It was garbage. We didn't even we ate half of one of the churros, and they gave us like six, and then just ate some of the soft serve and threw the rest away. It was so bad. That brings up another point about the tickets. That's the thing is if they make you take tickets in and the tickets are even used on food, which I didn't know until you just said that at that point, you're, you're losing the connection between money and a ticket. Exactly. And I hate if you walk in, you would never spend $10 on that if it were straight up 10 bucks, but because you had 10 tickets, Oh, well, tickets, not a dollar. I mean, I could spend 50 tickets, no big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, I mean, how much did like a game cost to play? I don't know. I know that they have this credits. Like that's another way that they get you though, is I've, I don't know how much they were this year. I've done them in the past, but they have this credit system and the tickets don't get you games. The tickets only get you food and rides like <laughs> the, yeah. So the little roller coasters and like the Ferris wheel and all that, that's all on tickets. But the games have what's called like a Texas game pass where you go up to this machine you get this card or whatever, and it's 50 cents per credit, and then each game has is so many credits to play one round. And it's it's all this, we are taking your currency, and we're going to just fuck with it a little bit, and then throw it back at you so you don't know what the real value is unless you yep. actually think about it. And then see how much you pay until you run out, not to mention, that's the, the whole thing of, okay, I paid $20 in parking, $25 per ticket, now I'm, now I'm buying these, like, each time you're throwing money at something... It's being thrown farther back into your head. So if you don't legitimately go in there with a budget and think about it, you're going to, we spent $140. We got, we bought three things of food and did nothing else. I was going to ask you what the hell you even did. 
Uh, Well, the one other thing that we spent money on was we went to the Butterfly Garden, which is actually badass. There's this really cool garden that you can go into that's relatively cool, shaded, and not that many people are there because it costs $5 a person to go in. But then there's this little butterfly house where there's tons of butterflies and they're all flying around and they get really close to you because they're not really scared of people because there are all these rules, don't fuck with butterflies. (laughs) And um, it was actually kind of neat and cool going in there because they have all the different types and um, they basically would land on you and there's really big ones that you can get really close to and take pictures with. And that was probably the best thing that we did there. And that's there every year and it's not special and it's literally there even when the state fair isn't there. Oh, I was going to say, how do you think they pack up? Do they just take like a fucking can of Febreze and a lighter in there and just call it a day or like yeah, start over every year <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well they're, it's about time for them to enter the ripening no it's it's at the pl- it's at this place called the fairgrounds which is used for multiple events uh concert venues all sorts of stuff it's around the uh, cotton bowl and um the it's what ba- the cotton bowl it's a um like little stadium thing um oh yeah it's uh it's, there's all sorts of stuff that goes on there throughout the year, and it and the uh, the Butterfly Gardens is one of the staples that has its own building and its own thing that's maintained annually. Does it always cost five bucks a person to get in? I don't remember. Last time we tried going, we were with a group of people, which we had a lot of fun with, but we were very unproductive, and by the time we got there, they had closed. <laughs> so yeah. we made sure we went this time, but it was worth yeah. it. That's cool. I'm glad it worked yeah. out. I mean, that sounds really cool. Um, yeah. The Not... You know, all the money you spent to eat shitty food and go see some butterflies and shit, but... It's the experience, uh, though. It's I would yeah. say if I had to do it again, I would, just not in the immediate future. Oh, yeah, it's one of those <laughs> things you need to... But it does serve as, like, a, a great, you know, a, a great day-long date. Yeah. Just like you did, or, you know, even if just take a couple friends, that's a, it's a, it's a good thing. And I think that's how they justify it. They're like, you know what? You may spend all this fucking money, but, you know, it's... An experience you won't get anywhere else, so that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, speaking of experiences you never get anywhere else, I lost my virginity at a state fair. Hell yeah. Oh my god. Was it in Did a Did you do it in the butterfly gardens? Oh my god. <laughs> Was it a porta potty in the butterfly gardens? <laughs> no. No, I oh. didn't. But now I wish I did. That sounds yeah. awesome. I mean, I I love state fairs, and that makes me sad that yours is trash. But it doesn't also surprise me because of where you're at. So yeah, yeah. Um, we have a pretty big one here that's actually pretty decent. But I told you guys the other day off podcast uh, that I had to work security for it. I had to go literally. So for some reason here, I don't know if they were just like railing me or if the system was railing me, but they can subvert certain laws and rules about how long you have to work when you're a security guard. It's like some weird situation. Mm-hmm. So they made, they dead ass made me work like all seven days of the fair. And they made me stand there at one gate nonstop without being able to sit down for like eight to 10 hours a day. That's rough. And it ruined that whole fucking fair experience for me. It was, it was terrible, but the, the fair itself is pretty cool. Even though we get a lot of like, like country singers as opposed to anything else. Mm-hmm. I don't know if your guys' fairs are the same. I kind of wish there'd be a bigger variety, but Trash was actually at ours. We uh really? yeah, I was I was really surprised. They were playing on one of the random stages and going at it. Going at it. Fuck yeah. I like going at it on stage. Did you guys ever see the movie Adventureland? Jesse Eisenberg, Kristen Stewart, coming mm-hmm. of age story. Jesse Eisenberg takes a job at the state fair. 
Well, yes, really... it's got Bill Hader in it. <clears throat> yes, uh, so... yeah, Bill Hader's in it. Ryan Reynolds is in it. Um, Kristen Wiig. Yeah, I haven't seen this, but I've, I'm surprised I haven't. It's yeah, it was it's kind of newer, isn't it? Or not like new, but yeah, well, it's like it's like ten or eleven years old. It's yeah. uh, I guess it's technically not the State Fair, but it's definitely State Fair vibes. Yeah, oh yeah, 2009, I guess, and it was after Super Bad, so yeah, it's, it's mm-hmm. a good one. It's classic. I like yeah. it. Yeah, no, I haven't seen that. It, it's got a good cast. I mean, I, I'm a slut for Bill yeah. Hader, though. Like anything Bill Hader's in. I'll yeah, oh, yeah, and I'm a big fan of Jesse Eisenberg. I think he's great. Yeah. Underrated. Oh, and Ryan Reynolds. Absolutely. Ryan Reynolds is, uh, you know, he's he's delicious. He's delicious. Yeah. Yes, let me suckle on you, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> Give me your sweat in a bottle. Speaking of movies, guys, let's oh, move on oh, to yeah. our topic. Oh yeah, we have a topic. We have a topic today. We have a topic today for you what guys. is it folks all right so this is essentially at its root it's a it's a continuation of our first episode right mm-hmm. the 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 topic we're talking about today has hollywood run out of creativity now long story short this we want to talk about this because obviously movies are a big part of our lives just like video games just like books just like any other medium that's entertainment but it's a little bit more widespread you know movies are more movies reach more people and i think something that has become an issue lately at least it's become a topic of conversation on reddit and on twitter people complaining about reboots sequels remakes and whatnot and the basically the 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 lack of creativity the lack of new ips in cinema and we're just being fed the same old thing over and over again and I think that's we want to talk about that a little bit. And again, it, it kind of continues off what we talked about episode one, but it's a little bit different. And uh, I want to start off really quick just to lead us in. Go around the room here. Let's talk about our favorite movie and why it's our favorite movie. Kyle. Yeah. What's your favorite movie? Oh, don't put me on the spot. Sully, go first. I need to think about it. Uh, Cabin in the Woods. Okay. Really? That's I a would best. say. All of film. Uh, yeah, it's. I would say it's one of my favorites because I'm a huge horror buff, and my whole thing about horror is learning the whys and the lore and um, ha- like weaknesses and motivations of the monster if they have them or whatever. And Cabin in the Woods took it to a whole nother level of creating this under society and modernization of horror that actually plays on the fact that everything that we fear pretend doesn't exist is real and we've just evolved to a point of um being able to control it and control the gods and and all this other crap or appeasing them in certain ways and it culminated all of those stories together and and it i i just i just loved everything about it the humor the the kills all of it it was all good Okay, I've I've got a couple different like favorite movies. I That's feel like okay. it's hard to pin down an overall one. Do I need to name one? No, can there's I no wrong one? answer to this. Okay, question. so is I love like artsy movies, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, or even more recently, I'm thinking of Ending Things. Charlie Kaufman, fucking mm-hmm. incredible movie. It's on Netflix. It's it's crazy, and it'll leave you thinking about it forever. It's fucking phenomenal, and I'm a huge slut for like artsy so deep it hurts movies that are done well um i think it's really hard to get that like to get there without it 
feeling bad because so many actors, like not actors, so many directors are trying and like writers are trying really fucking hard to do it. But like, you'll never be fucking another Charlie Kaufman. It's just it. As far as like more class, not classic, like more everyday movies are concerned into the Spider-Verse. hundred percent. That movie is fucking phenomenal. It, okay. it kills it as far as animation is concerned. Performances are incredible. The story, I mean, it's it's kind of classic, like superhero shit, but it's fun. I enjoy it. It's it's a good ass time, absolutely. Okay, uh, and that's those are kind of the three I thought of. But okay. all right, my favorite movie has been the same since I was a kid. Um, it's Good Morning Vietnam. Came out oh. in eighty. Came out in eighty seven. Um, Robin Williams. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. The, the reason that it's been my favorite movie has changed over the years. Um, when I was a kid uh, and I got first got introduced to Robin Williams, watching hook, watching this movie, watching, you know, anything else that he did. Uh, I fell in love with his humor. He's one of my two personal heroes. And as I got older and I went back and I rewatched it thinking that I was going to like grow out of it, I guess, you know, as I got a little older and I, I actually came to realize that it's probably one of the best commentaries on war that we've ever seen. It doesn't, I've talked about this before with you guys, I think. Um, I know it's a lot of my other friends give me shit for it. I have a I have a problem with movies that monetize war to make, you know, they they basically take advantage of a of a terrible situation like war and they yeah, make it look cool. They make it look cool, they make money off of it. We're basically, you know, capitalizing on death and mm-hmm. something that is just, in my personal opinion, one of the most childish things that partake in that we deal with on a daily basis here. Yeah, in our world now. And it it just rubs me the wrong way. So I tend to stay away from war movies for the most part. But this one does it so well and so tastefully. There's several scenes. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this movie, but there's one there's one scene in particular where it's kind of a montage of the, the state of things in Vietnam in between his radio shows where it's got um, Louis Armstrong's What a Wonderful World playing in the background while it's showing all these terrible scenes of mm-hmm. kids getting beat up and people being blown up. And it shows it graphic enough to get the point across, but not so much. Not as I'm not getting hit in the face with blood, you know, yeah. and nobody's, it's just, you know, kids crying and families torn apart and, you know, GIs that are very obviously going through it. And then, you know, another scene where it's towards the end of the movie and Robin Williams is kind of like temporarily resigned his post and he's riding around with his, with the guy that's basically like his, his entourage, his, his helper, his assistant. And he, they pull up on some GIs that are about to ship out to, um, to fight. And the, the assistant stands up and introduces Adrian Cronauer is Robin Williams's character's name. And he just yells to all these guys, these thousands of guys that are in these trucks, like, hey, I've got Adrian Cronauer in here. And he's been, you know, entertaining them for the last several months in relatively dark humor for the time, you know, for that time, for that era. Mm -hmm. And it's just watching him connect with these guys on screen who are about basically, you know, in his eyes, these kids are going to go die. And it's it's one of the most powerful movies that I've ever watched even now, even just now thinking about it, it gives me chills. I just, I, I love it so much and I will just stand by it forever. But so many of those Robin Williams movies are fucking classic though. Like he's got a way of knocking it out of the park that almost no other actor does. And some of these like really serious and hard to pull off roles. 
super uh, emotional movies. Fucking yeah. yeah, Dead Poet Society, fucking Goodwill Hunting, phenomenal yeah. fucking movies. World's I, I Greatest Dad. Yeah. Another hard hitting. Oh my god. Yeah, I'm not sure anyone else could pull that off. No, like, I mean he's he's one of a kind. That's for sure. And there's a lot of actors like that out there, but he's definitely not irreplaceable. That's for sure. Yep. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So favorite movies. We've we kind of have a widespread. You know, mine's from the '80s. Sully yours is from the 2000s. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's. I think it came out in like 2010, maybe a little bit later. And then Kyle. I mean, your your biggest one, your one at the end there, came out what two years ago? Yeah. Okay. So the question becomes. We're thinking about movies, and we're all old enough to have gone through several decades of movies. Do we feel different about movies now than we did when we were kids? Do generally, do you feel differently about movies that are being produced? Do you get a sour taste in your mouth when you get another sequel to another movie to another movie to a prequel to a, a remake? Talk to me. What do you think, Sully? Um, I definitely feel like there is just my. I guess my my biggest input on it would be that I look for the unique stuff and i know that's part of our commentary on this is the creativity is lacking and i want something that i haven't seen before that's telling a story i haven't heard before and if i have to see uncle ben die again or learn why uh batman took up the mantle and why he doesn't like guns i'm probably gonna stab my eyes out i feel like you should probably move away from superhero movies then yeah, and but then there's then you have Justice League, which everyone shits on, even though it was a new Batman, and we didn't have to actually do that. And then they actually were smart enough to at least say, "Hey, you've heard this story ten thousand times. Let's let's teach you about everybody else." So I have to give them a little bit of props for that. And I'm then really surprised Mar- that sorry to cut in, but no, go ahead. I, I'm surprised it took them that long to get that. Like, thank yeah, God Marvel stepped in with Spider Man and kind of led the way with this idea of. Oh, we've rebooted the character twice. We've seen that fucking one titular yeah. character in Uncle Ben's dead Uncle, already. Uncle Ben die literally a million yeah. times over. Like, <laughs> leave the poor man alone. Why you gotta keep yeah, poor Uncle that? Ben? Yeah, <laughs> Jesus, man. Probably yeah. the most killed character in cinema history, except for maybe like Kenny from South Park. But it, I'm sure it's close. <laughs> well, but Uncle Ben it, is not best blessed by Cthulhu with resurrection. So true. Actually, uh, sorry. Continue. That was. Well, I was going to make commentary on being kind of being glad that this recent phase of Marvel is over as well, because they hit an algorithm and it felt like, okay, we're we're learning everything. You're doing the exact same thing with each character, it feels like. And then I went and saw Ten Rings not too long ago, and I was very happy and satisfied with what they did. But I feel it's because it's a whole nother story right out. Like they had a couple cameos of some characters from other movies and that was great and they touched on it just enough so that if you've seen them you're like hey I know that guy but if you haven't you're like oh that's cool and it's it's enough that it was it was unique and I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with this next phase and maybe they've learned to be a little bit more creative instead of just copy paste throw in humor here throw in cool fight here and then um collect money so I don't I don't think we're going to see a whole lot of that I do like that some of the stories seem deeper or more important or even more interesting, I guess. Kind of looking at Eternals specifically, it Mm -hmm. seems very different. It seems like it it dips into a whole different side of the Marvel Universe. And there's a lot to touch on in what they're approaching. 
with the whole MCU thing. And I think that all should be really interesting. But if I had to take a guess as to why 10 rings is so different and I haven't seen it yet, but first of all, it needed to be to start off to be one of the first movies in the new phase. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, I don't think they're going to take that risk on a character that's established. Like this new Spider-Man movie is absolutely going to be the formula. I think minus uh, all this multiverse stuff they're throwing in. I'm sure that's going to kind of throw a wrench in things, but you break it down and it's probably going to come down to the same formula minus the content. Right. Uh, Yeah. Because they they can't afford to lose on a Spider-Man movie like that. It's just, they know what works, but 10 rings, you know, no one knows these characters unless they're, you know, hardcore comic fans. And so that gives them a lot of opportunity to be like, okay, how do we get a little creative with this? How do we play into its roots? I know it had fucking phenomenal uh, fight, fight scenes. scenes. Yeah, yeah. The fight scenes were amazing. Exactly. Uh, I don't. So I don't think we're gonna see too much creativity or a lot of it, but I do think we're gonna see it a lot in some of these new heroes intros. Or, I mean, just look as far as like Wandavision. That was fucking crazy. Different. Well, they actually, uh, and I guess that wasn't an intro and it was TV, but what they did with WandaVision that they haven't done yet, like WandaVision was new in the fact that they actually touched on her trauma. Like if you look at the other um, heroes, they all had levels of trauma. Like Tony Stark had PTSD yep. and in that, and I think it was three, he dealt with it a little bit by having some shutdowns, but he didn't really face it like Wanda did in WandaVision. And that was the first time that they really focused on that mental trauma and act, yeah. and how she handled it instead of just, oh, they're a hero, they got over it, and now we're fighting the villain. Heroes don't care about depression. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, but I mean, and that that's the thing is, I, I don't see Wanda, at least before WandaVision, as a main staple of the MCU. Uh, and I think a lot of these characters that are getting TV shows that are very different kind of aren't either. Mm-hmm. I think the closest to being cookie cutter has been fucking Winter Soldier and the Falcon. I still liked it a lot. Don't get me wrong. I really like the formula, but I don't know how much creativity we're going to get out of anything but a new origin story. We should do a whole episode on Marvel, though. That sounds like we've got a lot to talk about. There. Yeah. Well, I mean, so that's really what it comes down to. I mean, currently... The current thing is Marvel, right? That is the current thing that's getting pumped out. Money's getting shoved into and that we're quote unquote getting repeats of, right? I mean, Marvel, the Marvel extended universe or the MCU has been going for 12 years now since Iron Man one. So it's been nonstop, nothing but, you know, Marvel stuff. And that bodes the question. Um, what do we consider create? What do we consider? Creative I was do? Just going to ask that. Do you guys consider adaptations that maybe haven't been done before or haven't been done very much? Do you consider that creative? Do you, do you think that that, that was is... a, that was something I wanted to argue? And I would say that it is it is not it, you are it's you are interpreting someone else's creativity. Now, the original content obviously is very creative, but you cannot give that credit to Hollywood. You cannot give that credit yeah. to movie makers. Yeah, they have to change some stuff because it's it's the cinematic universe and they have to be able to crunch it down into a smaller thing. But that just means that you have so much more content to pull in and pick all the best parts out of and then slam it together. And you just took like a hundred series comic and 
took literally all the best pieces and yep. or you had the availability of all the best pieces and it's like that's like play right you just pick yeah. pieces out of the puzzle and throwing them into your own and that is not creativity that's just being a good editor oh yeah and and that's that's another distinction i wanted to make when i am go like when i am inevitably going to say that a movie is not creative that doesn't mean that there isn't creativity happening in the process that's there's a lot of creativity that goes into making yep. a movie Mm-hmm. Uh, even in the Avengers movies, even in, you know, that MCU set of IPs, uh, sculpting areas and storyboarding and writing dialogue is all so creative. And I have nothing but love for the teams that put those together. Right. It's great. When I talk about if something is creative, I'm talking about from the start, the Originality. idea they're looking to adapt. Originality. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I I don't think I don't think adapting comics is original. I don't think any of it is. Honestly, even if you make those little differences back and forth, no, cuz like Sully said, someone already put all that work in. The one exception I have is honestly not even from Marvel is it, it's my one of my favorite movies, it's to the Spider-Verse. And I say that not because of the content, but because of how far they went to nail down this execution of this film that had never been done before. Mhm. There's that movie is literally built off the back of creativity. It's it's animated in ways we've never seen before. Uh, And that's not even to say all the shit it did for, you know, the state of animated films. I mean, we've got whole ass adults now that before would just be like, oh, it's a fucking cartoon. Fuck that. But now they're they're in 100 percent. They're in. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really dope. Uh, I don't think the Marvel IPs for the most part are creative. No. In fact, I'd say I'd be hard pressed to find one that is. but my, my counter argument is, has, has the film industry ever been creative in a meaningful way? I think we get a lot of interesting creative IPs uh, or even just one-off films, but a lot of them traditionally have been based off of books. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and the comics is that's this is not something that's actually that new. They've been doing this since the 90s with yeah. The Crow oh, and Blade oh, and Punisher. Like th- this is just the first time that we've we've tried to mainstream it. It yeah. is not new. And I want to open I want to open this up just a little bit. We say Hollywood, in my opinion, and in my research that I've done before this before this episode, that this argument, this topic always includes television. Okay. Anything that we're watching on Netflix, Hulu, uh, regular base cable. That I mean, that opens it up then because there's. A lot, I think there's a lot more creative television than. That's okay because I want to talk. I want to talk about that. Yeah. I want to talk about that. So, the, the we kind of opened a worm here that I want to dive into, and we're talking about creativity versus originality. Right. Creativity is everywhere. Right. I mean, it, it, you have to be creative to make a film. You just do. Even even those BCD flicks that we see come out. They're just absolute garbage. But there, there's creativity there. You know, yeah. somebody's behind a camera creating a camera angle. Yeah, it, that's that's creative. That's creativity. Even just in the way you edit this, the clips together and how much time you leave in each. And I think mm-hmm. that all takes a level of creativity. Yeah. Right. What I want to talk about a little bit is originality, and we dabbled in that a little bit. And the question that I came across that I think I kind of want to lead with a little bit here is, this is going to get a little meta, and I apologize, but has every story been told? Have we heard every iteration of every story ever? 
can you mm. come up with an original story? Is that even possible? I think statistically that's impossible. There's always going to be a combination of words that hasn't been used yet that is a, that is a feasible conversation and or story. Yeah, and that's that's my initial response, but then kind of generalize the idea, right? Take it in a way that you don't necessarily factor in character names or even specific character traits, actors, the way it's executed. When mm -hmm. it comes down to a story, that's an idea that's existed for a long time, that every story breaks down into the same set of steps, that all of these tropes exist and are used over and over again, exist for a reason. Mm -hmm. And that reason is that that's what we find entertaining. And not I'm not to, sure. Yeah, go not ahead. to bring religion into it, but if you look at almost all major and pagan religions that are just myth mythological now, mm -hmm. so many of those stories that have people that haven't even seen each other before are so identical. Yep. And the way that they're told, the the you got the trickster, you've got the big guy, you've got the the rebellious sons. Yeah, you've there's all they're all the same stories, just with different names and different superpowers. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, just to kind of add on that, yeah, in just in because there's different layers to this. So we had we a couple years ago we had a movie called come out called A Star Is Born, right? Yeah, it huge box office success. Lady Gaga makes her debut. Everybody loves her. Bradley Cooper goes through six yeah. months of like song training and guitar playing and turning himself into Sam, Sam Elliott, essentially. And it is huge. That movie alone has been redone six times. That's the oh, sixth yeah. iteration of that movie. Wow. Yeah. On the other side of that, one of my favorite movies from the 90s, I believe it was 99. It might have been a little later. Now. Anyway, 10 Things I Hate About You. It's a retelling of Taming of the Shrew. Yep. Why? Oh, yeah. There you are, didn't know that? <laughs> no. Tons, <laughs> there are tons of movies in the 90s and the 2000s and the 80s that were Shakespearean. Wow. And it's, creative, it's creatively retelling a story that's been told a thousand times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is that cheating? Does that count? So one point I want to make before we answer that mm -hmm. is a, a comment on how the human brain works. And I think Sully and I at least have talked about this briefly before. Mm -hmm. But the general idea is that the human brain is not good at coming up with new ideas. It's actually fucking terrible at it. Yeah. Yep. The way the human brain works is a lot like the way dreams work, which is it takes different parts of your psyche, different parts of the experiences you've had in your everyday life and the thoughts that you've had and just throws them together in different new ways. Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of times, one famous thing compared to another famous thing will be very similar, but different in some key ways. Different, and to same. me, yeah. And to me, that seems like a very similar experience. So I, wa I want you guys to keep that in mind when you're thinking about this. And I want you to think about if there is any movie or Hollywood, anything you would consider that has come out recently that is so creative, so different that it doesn't feel like it it borrowed from something else. Uh, not a goddamn thing. <laughs> I mean, that's kind um, of where I'm at. I would say yes, but it's kind of cheating. Um, there have been, if you look at movies that go to the Oscars, mm -hmm. um, and I'm going to reference the Oscars a couple times as we go on through this conversation. There are there have been a lot of films in the last five years 
little more so five years, but back into the 10 years as well that are based on true stories. Yeah. And that counts, but also it kind of doesn't because it's not original. It's still yeah. retelling somebody else's story. I would say, you know, with with the comments that you made about how the human brain works, it's I mean, it's absolutely true. It's hard. It's almost impossible to 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 when you're thinking of something creative, whether you're sitting down to, you know, pen to paper, fingers to keyboard, you're t- you're typing up the script or you're writing an original story. Yeah. It is impossible to pull out all the things that you've absorbed, especially for somebody who has absorbed a lot of entertainment things a lot of books and you know just literature things like that it's it's impossible to pull those things out of your brain it just is um i mean god how many times has the hero's trope been told you know i mean for well i mean some would argue that every story ever told was you could you could absolutely argue that but it's all the things that we love as a culture i mean star wars harry potter all of them they're all that hero's trope right i mean it's but look at the things that came around those Right. Look at look at I mean, George Lucas came up with some, one of the most rich and wonderful universes ever around this story of a, of a kid who, yeah. you know, rises to the occasion and defeats evil. I mean, that's that's the way it is. And I, I would I, see. So here's a question that I have that mm-hmm. kind of has changed my view on it since what I said in the beginning. Yeah. If every idea, at least recently, mm-hmm. is in some way loosely based or inspired by something else. If nothing is truly original, does that then put emphasis on the way something is put together or executed for its creativity? Is that the only way to assign that level of creativity to it? So when I think of Star Wars, I think, yeah, it's the same story, but it's creative because of all of the things it introduces to its world, to its universe, to the way that they made some of those shots happen back when they were doing the original trilogy. Um, and I mean, that's that's a different position than I held initially. I don't um, know. What do you guys think? Solely answer that and then I'm going to come back over the top of it. I'm going to say that's a different type of creativity, but it like it's not storytelling. It's you are cre- like special effects goes as far as like graphic design and video games where you have figured out a way to do something really cool and that gives that creative detail to those that designed it but yeah that is definitely i i would consider that creativity um you have especially when certain things haven't been done before and like the use of the puppets and all that that wasn't original Mm -hmm. to star wars but they I mean, they went to a scale on a lot of these things that others hadn't touched yet. Like that was, um, I think, um, Star Wars and Alien were the first ones to really go into making huge spaceships look, or they made little models look really big and really cool and did did a play on scales. And that was, I would say that was creative of we're gonna make this little city and we're gonna do a shot and it's going to be so detailed and so cool that we're going to make it look like there's all these really cool things going on with it because we've scaled it down and we're going to use cinematography to make it look big and i thought that was badass now i don't i'm not enough of a movie buff to know if they were the first ones to do something to that scale but i thought i think that in and of itself is creative using using what you have available when we're so used to the technology we have nowadays if we can just click enough buttons and we just created a giant city like in Game of Thrones or 
them having to literally have to splice and um, use optical illusions in order to create this vast universe they're trying to do. So I don't think you actually asked a question, Kyle. You just made a point, really. <laughs> you, you made a point. Well, no, and that's, so, good. that's good. Hold on. It's a good, it's a good point. Then my question over the top of that is, are we not getting enough of that anymore? Are we not getting enough of... I don't think it's needed anymore because we, we technology has advanced so far that you, you have computers do all the hard stuff for you nowadays. So I'm talking about stories that are something that's adapted around a base story. And that's kind of what I took from what Kyle said. Okay. Kyle, you know, he's been talking about Star Wars and he's talking about it was okay because, you know, all of these wonderful things around it. And I took that more story based. Yeah. Well, so well, my general point gets goes down to a more like almost philosophical level, which yeah. is just if every story ever told is an amalgamation of other stories mm-hmm. and, and nothing down at its core is necessarily totally original. Uh, original does that mean that we can even judge a movie based on its story being original or creative or in that way, do we have to pivot and say, okay, everything that makes a movie creative has to do with its execution as opposed to the story itself. Um, I see. I wish I had the time to do the research before answering this question. But (laughs) one of the things like I did a little bit of research on are some of my favorite things that I've watched based on something else. And one of my favorite things that Netflix pumped out was the Haunting of Hill House series. And they did a second one. And those I think they were amazingly well done. They were awesome stories. But that was actually based off of a novel from the late uh, 1950s. Um, and there's been a couple movies made about it and I wish I had the book and I could read it to know how much of the story was actually told through the book, how much of the, um, what do you call them? Uh, twists and type type, the way they told the story. Is that the same as it was from the books or was that unique? Was that twist ending of learning a few things, um, without wanting to spoil this series if no one's heard it before, but the way they told the story was in, insanely well done. And I don't know if I can attribute that to the people that published to Netflix or if that was actually from the original book. Yeah. And that that's another question is, I mean, the story itself is told. I mean, even if you just break it down, it's a, it's a ghost story, right? Right. <laughs> at its core. And at that point, I think you're focusing instead on on the execution, right? How it was told, how they would tweak it. Um, on mm-hmm. top of that, those had incredible performances in them. The The editing was really good. I, mm-hmm. I loved them a lot. And I, given almost this, this newer viewpoint, I would say those are creative. Okay. I, I don't see many of those often. So let's go ahead. I was just, I was just going to say it, it is said to be loosely done. And I want to think back to the late sixties and were they creative enough back then to do the stuff that we have now with our massive influx of information that we have to fuel our creativity and i want to say no i don't think they had the creativity ability to tell the story in such a way that we saw it on netflix um when you say that i'm gonna imagine you mean specifically how they told the for the medium that they used yeah yeah perspectives the limited information because that's that's where we come into crosshairs of which is better the book or the the movie and 
it all depends on which one you see first usually but um when you think of think that the real difference it's about the information that you're able to receive you're given the visuals in a movie and the more i would say immediate emotion instead of a, a build-up of emotion and yeah. through books you're given thoughts and um their actual motivations instead of assuming what they're motivated by or trying to dig into it and that you can't make those types of judgments but i still feel like the way they told the story would have been impossible to be told that way through the book just the same kind of like the giver where like the big twist in the at the beginning is impossible to play through on the on the movie because you literally ruin it by giving your audience eyes you you have to give them a, their visual imagination, not their actual eyesight, to see the story you're telling in order to give that good twist. Right. So so you're kind of hitting on two separate things that kind of come together here, if I'm understanding you correctly. The first is uh, certain stories have an advantage being adapted in certain ways, right? Mm-hmm. Like how you know you said the giver is best described, like used as a book, and in your opinion, Hill House is the way it was told is is best shown as a tv show right basically yeah and then you're also saying that an advance in technology and information pass through has allowed us to better tell a visual story nowadays is what you're saying basically yeah when you have a story that you want to tell but you can't think of the best way to tell it having all of these other ideas that from all the information that you've absorbed gives you more ammunition to use when you want to tell your story in a more creative way. Yeah. Um, I, I think there's a lot of like older creative movies that knock that shit out of the park though. So I'm hesitant to kind of agree with that off the bat. I think you're hitting on something important, which is definitely worth a conversation at some point, but which is that, you know, is it, are we better now at, doing that at providing a visual experience at giving more information quicker now than we used to be is is there some extra level to the craft now i wouldn't say we're better because of ourselves i would say we're better because of technology another movie that comes to mind is the labyrinth that movie was made back in what the 80s and it told such a great story. It had amazing characters. And I'm pretty sure it wasn't based off of anything. It was an, an original work of art. And it was, um, I think it was also, a, you know, it was a musical. I try and forget that. I'm not a big fan of musicals. <laughs> but uh, it was still an amazing movie. And the the way they were able to tell the story and all that stuff was amazingly well done and it that's it's almost a counterpoint to what i was trying to say before of just i I don't know man it's i'm such on i'm so on the fence of i think the only real advantage we have nowadays is that the technology we have gives us the ability to tell a story like that without having to really dive into the set creation and the puppets and all all the things that they had to do to build that awesome movie um, and there's just little things like the fact that watch his bucket, the main, the main guy, the, uh, the musician that David Bowie, David Bowie, yeah. um, that orb that he had, that wasn't ever him doing that. They actually literally had a guy who was really good with orb tricks 
when he was playing with the orb, stand behind him and be a fake arm. And he had to do it at <laughs> such a level, he was basically doing it backwards with his arm behind his back yep. and doing the orb tricks. Because David Bowie, there's no way that guy was going to learn that stuff. He was, an, he was an amazing musician, but he was always fucked up and on some level. <laughs> and there's no way he was going to get that coordination down. And yep. nowadays... You don't have to have a guy that's really good at this and then um, and then have to spin backwards. You've got two options. You can just throw a green blanket over him while he does it, and he doesn't have to bend and contort himself. Or you can just have David Bowie move his hand around a little bit, and you just pop, there's a ball in his hand because computers and cool. So the level I, of... Okay, create- so one thing that I... Uh, one point that I will make is the way that this is done as far as computer graphics are concerned, is not mostly on the computer. The computer handles being able to place those things and put them together into a film, but it does actually take a shit ton of work from people that know how to use those programs and then know how to yeah. make 3D art to make that work. So it's never a case of the computers just doing all the work for them. It's still a lot of work, but it's mm-hmm. it's more work happening in the back end by all the people that you just see in the credits. True. True, and I and I one hundred percent am not trying to discredit the amount of effort that they put into it. Yeah. However, what I think the point I'm trying to say is, when you become a a graphic artist and you know what you're doing and you you're experienced and you've got that down, doing those things, I don't believe is the same level of unique effort that this one guy is having to contort his body in order to do this one scene. <laughs> this one time that will be a useless skill to have for the future. Yeah. And so that, that is the only uh, reason he did it. So, Box, first of all, I want to hear your input on this because I feel like you have a strong answer for it. I have. I do have a strong opinion on that, but I'm not really sure how to phrase it as is c- the computer science and uh, computer generated effects, special effects in the last 20 years, 30 years that have been introduced to film. Does that take away from storytelling. No, I don't think so. No, I think it enhances it. It creates more possibilities and more ways of telling yeah. your story. I mean, a movie like like fucking Avatar could never happen. Yeah, removes limitations, that. I should say. Yeah. Mhm. With magic. Okay. So, we are getting into the the minutia. We're getting into like the real nitty-gritty, the the seriousness of I want to zoom out essentially is what I want to get to. I'm okay. going to zoom out a little bit because we've, we've kind of already answered a few of the, the we've gone, we've dove in and we've talked about, you know, some little minor details. And we've, I think we've come to a, a good conclusion that on the surface, we can't say that, you know, with, with every story being, every story being told that does not limit originality or creativity. It doesn't, yeah. we, we can't do that. We can't limit, we cannot judge this question by that fact. So let's zoom out a little bit and talk about the bigger picture. And I have a couple facts here. Um, something that I looked up, some 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 st- statistics, if you will. Some statistics. Some statistics. Some I like statistics. numbers. Right. So talking about originally made stories, like original screenplays, okay, versus remakes, sequels, prequels. And things that are created from other sources, yeah, like, like comic books, adaptations, exactly. In the last 15 years, since 2000, well, since 2021, the article that I read was written in 2020. In the last 15 years, 
just looking at the top 100 grossing films released in that year. Okay, so that's where these statistics. So gross about them. Yeah, what's so fucking? Do they smell? They they are (laughs) terrible. They're fucking terrible movies because they're they're just adaptations of fucking dog shit. (laughs) Of the last 15 years, the percentage of remakes in those top 100 grossing films have actually decreased 49%. Wow. Really? The peak was in 2005. 19, 19 of the 100 top grossing films in 2005 were remakes. However, since 2005 in the last 15 years, the percentage of sequels or prequels have gone up 192%. Oh my god. So expanding on the story instead of trying to retell yeah, it's, it. Yeah, it's establishing an IP and using it as a safeguard. Right. And we can we can put a lot of things on the, on 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 the table on that one. Yeah. Star Wars, Marvel, a lot of things. Aliens done too. Aliens, yeah. all of them. Yeah. How does that Harry Potter fucking into yeah. the ground? Absolutely. Widening Twilight. widening <laughs> our thought process. If we, we, we zoom out a little bit and think about original screenplays versus adaptations and that kind of thing, are we bombarded by things that are unoriginal, thinking about it in that term? So this kind of seems similar to the idea of last episode, we talked about there being so many similar games on the store, most of them mm-hmm. not very good, and mm-hmm. whether that impacted the situation overall. I don't really feel similar about the cinema, about films and such, mm-hmm. just because I don't feel like I have to wade through so many. But I, I, I'm not. I'm also way less interested in finding cinema as often as I am finding games and shit like that. Well, and don't forget we're also including streaming platforms yes. as well, not just what's in the movies. Yes. And I can't tell you how often I will spend 10 minutes on Netflix eating my meal. And it was at this time the recording software the boys had been using took a massive fucking dump right on their chests. This is the aftermath. Christ, hold on. I forgot. I don't even know where we stopped. What was I talking about? <laughs> well, you had started. Ta- you had started talking about. You had started talking about about um, streaming services. Streaming and services. Having oh yeah, shit you have to go through. Yeah, I feel like on streaming services, I have the same issue I do on Steam, where there's a few of those iconic titles or the like top 100 or the top 10 that everyone's watching or whatever or the trending for you is like yes. But if I'm actually looking for something outside of that, I feel like I'm in the same thing I was doing on Steam, looking for a new game. But if we go to what's in the movie theaters, I do not feel that way. And I feel like that's that's just a whole nother like co- topic of conversation is how many things do we have that is just immediately thrown on a streaming service and might not be higher quality or creative or whatnot. And I, I, don't, I think that's a whole nother topic we can get into. Because mm-hmm. we're starting to that that conversation reverses back to what we were talking about. Absolutely, Kyle. What we were talking about last last episode. You know, Steam and video games are one thing because we're exposed to Steam constantly. We're searching through Steam. We're we're rifling through it. Movies and entertainment on Netflix. Netflix is a little bit more like that. But you know what? I'm this statistic. These these two statistics that I dropped here are for Theater. Hollywood films released. Okay, top one hundred grossing films. Mm-hmm. So the the money makers Hollywood when we yeah. when we the question that was posed really at the end of the day is is Hollywood running out of creativity 
And this statistic is pointed at that because this is where the money is going. These top 100 films. We've got. Also, a, we've got I we've wouldn't. Got a, I would make that distinction automatically. I mean, there's such a thing as a good sequel or a good prequel that are solid films on their own. I mean, there's a there's a whole handful of movies where their sequels are fucking better than the originals, and the originals yeah. are classics. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think something being a being a sequel or a prequel automatically condemns it. I think it's it's a good sign. I think that more suck than ones that don't. Mm-hmm. But you talking shit about Shark Five? Okay, listen, Sharknado <laughs> Seven. Yeah. We can automatically assume those were not in the top 100 grossing films. Oh no, no! Well, I mean, but, speak for yourself first of all. I, but <laughs> we can put movies like the live-action Lion King that came out two years yep. ago, three years ago in 2018. You know how long? How many times has that been told by Disney so alone? Does your statistic have? A, sec- a separate section for like reboots or is that included in prequels and sequels reboots and remakes are the same thing so reboots and remakes have decreased in the last 15 years oh okay interesting but it's prequels and sequels that have gone up is yeah. it just because it's the time is not nigh for that reboot because so reboots, been done the, before then on average a reboot a, a movie is remade every 30 years if it's okay. one the, for movies that get remade the average is 30 years interesting really mm-hmm. that's crazy now well i guess adaptations i is there a stat point there for adaptations about specifically touching on things that already exist or is it just prequels, it's sequels, just it's reboots? just reboots it's okay. just reboots for the 30 years yeah okay i i think if we had a statistic on on adaptations that would say a lot more for me because just the idea of adapting something immediately takes a lot of creativity and i'll also say that sequels and prequels can seem lazy right Mm -hmm. because you're not coming up with something new you're working from things people already know and love i'm not sure any of the creative like the most creative movies i've ever seen are sequels or prequels most of them i would say are the movies that stand out on their own ones that i don't even know if they're based on a book or something like that like some of these kaufman films right for for example yeah let me look up i'm thinking of ending things book and now you're on a list what (laughs) okay so it is it is actually based on a book it is Mm -hmm. which is wild to me that it felt so original i i think that's just the the kaufman-esque-ness of it it's got his fucking stint on it with that 30 year thing because when i like that the haunting of hill house thing that was that's almost 60 years that it's been quote unquote retold this this book was released in 2016 Mm -hmm. oh okay (laughs) but i mean maybe that's just i don't know man i feel like it's them trying to like reintroduce a story that maybe you haven't heard yet and they don't want to deprive you of either because of your generation or possibly medium you have so many people that don't read anymore and that's unfortunate because so many of the best stories are written down and they create them into those mediums but when we're talking about creativity that's just you being nice and trying to make some money off of a new medium not being creative so just another little point, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is not based off a book. It's totally written by Charlie Kaufman. Yep. The title is just a reference to a poem from 1717, but mm-hmm. which it makes sense. I think that movie is really creative and I love it. But Yeah. 
I have two more things that two more topics that I want to briefly touch on before we get to our final our final answers from the three of us. Yeah. Something that another article that I read essentially ripped apart Hollywood for not having any creativity, dealing with adaptations and sequels, just hated it, tore it apart. And I found it interesting that at the end of the article, the the references that were made were when this this writer she spoke with some some CEOs and people up in Hollywood and big production companies. Why are we making things that are have already been done before? Are are continuations of another story? And essentially, it's these big production companies are dumping millions, hundreds of millions of dollars sometimes into films. And they're not going to take the risk on a new IP because the audiences of today are more comforted by things that are familiar. People are not as willing to go to a movie in the theater specifically and spend $30 per person yeah, with between tickets and, you know, whatever, because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about right now. We're talking about box office sales. People are not willing to take a risk on something they're not familiar with when they can go see something that they are familiar with and they've already been reassured because the previous one they enjoyed. And so that they're going to go see the next one, or they're going to see a remake of something that they've enjoyed from their childhood. I will be honest. I feel like that is a heavy generalization. I think it's not giving enough credit to the average film enjoyer. It's a weird way to say it, but no, I, get to I, I think, yeah, I think there's a lot that goes into a statistic like that, provided the, you know, the people making the claims of the films industry even has statistics on that. And I'm sure they do somewhere, but mm-hmm. whether that's based in a statistic that people enjoy what they know, mm-hmm. I think it's just, to me, it almost sounds like they're looking at people and being like, well, people are fucking stupid. They know this, they'll like it. But we've seen in the past that really creative movies can thrive. Mm-hmm. And I I think that has a lot to say about our ability to enjoy these deeper movies. I've never met someone that was just straight up like, oh, yeah, I enjoy a Marvel movie more than I enjoy a Kaufman film. Mm-hmm. Never in my life. And so I, I think we have a huge ability grapple with those things so i've never been sure where that statement comes from because it just doesn't feel right even intuitively to me it's a pretty common idea that the average american consumer is an idiot yeah it's it's just and confirm anybody that (laughs) an idiot (laughs) anybody that creates anything for human consumption it is easy to at least reportedly, it is easy to fool us and it is easy to train us to go to a certain thing or do a certain thing or buy a certain thing if marketed correctly. Yeah. And so I've got this snake oil that'll make your pee pee bigger. <laughs> oh, my God, I need it. <laughs> I mean, that's a good that's a hell of a good point, because people have been doing that for a long ass time. Convince people to do stupid ass shit. <laughs> And that's all, you know, these... I mean, the, what, what was it? The 1700s, every time you went to the doctor and they were like, yeah, you seem to have something wrong with you. Do some cocaine about it. And then sent you out the door. Mm-hmm. Well, we didn't know any better. No, but it now worked. in the information age, as we come back full circle to the information age, as we talked about last, last episode, we just need to open up Google or 
use our brains and take 10 minutes to look up movies in this case. Mm-hmm. See what's out there. Don't just, ooh, I saw that commercial for that movie. I'm going to go see it. Look and see what's out. I hate movie commercials nowadays. Might as well <laughs> just watch the whole movie in two minutes and not go see it. Yeah, exactly. Give me the beginning, the middle, and the end. There you go. Fucking take my money. Do but I, have, I definitely get your point. Yeah, I mean, do you have anything? Because I, I 100% agree with Kyle. I, I already have... I already have an. I've had an answer to this question since before we started. I have one too, definitively. Yeah, yeah, I've had one since we started. But I'm just, I'm, I'm curious. I just wanted to get there. Soli, did you have anything on that topic itself, as far as the unwashed masses being? I def, I definitely feel like there is a mentality that we have nowadays that we didn't have back in the day, as and. There's two points to bring up, one of which is when we have these grossing films and the money they've made, The if you take inflation into account, there is a top-reigning champion that will never be outdone due to the fact that it was the only movie in theaters for like a month or two, <laughs> and that was Gone with the Wind. It is the top-grossing film that will ever exist, that has existed or will ever, ever exist because it was the only option, mm-hmm. and everyone was talking about it, and this, that, and the other, and... It it was that that was your only choice. If you wanted to go to the movies in this month of this year, that was the movie you were gonna watch. And nowadays we're we're given the choices and capitalism and all that stuff, and that's not a bad thing at all, especially considering we're not given too many choices. You get you have your four or five movies that fit the things that you enjoy to go see. But you also have the people that if they're unsure, they're gonna wait. Because it's like you said, is this worth spending fifteen to thirty dollars? Am I gonna take my family? Or even if you just wanna take your significant other, that's thirty bucks usually, even with just one thing from the concession stand. Or you can wait until the D V D release and it's one of the streaming services picks it up, or you can rent it on Amazon for three dollars and just patience will be rewarded with a lower cost in this and a similar experience. And I I think that might actually have, there might be some merit to the, I'm not familiar, I'm not sure, the critics aren't saying things amazing about it, and the reviews are like, it's it's maybe in the 70s on Rotten Tomatoes or whatever site you watch, so it's not a guarantee I'm going to have a good time, so I'm just going to be a little patient, and when it's released to one of the streaming platforms that I subscribe to, I'll watch it then. Mm -hmm. And it's removed from the statistics of box offices. An additional point just to add on to that, too, that I thought of is in an age where so much information is getting fed to us at such a fast rate, there's a real actual competition about what takes our interest, about what Mm -hmm. is pulling our our attention at the time. And regardless of if a movie is new or creative, sometimes it might not look as interesting as a new Spider-Man movie. You know, if if fucking eternal sunshine of the spotless mind released tomorrow alongside spider-man both are probably going to be great great films but the actual like good film is totally going to get snubbed by that just because it's it's fun it's interesting it's in your face it's actiony it's it's what's going to pull your information like pull your your attention it's fun for the whole family yeah true whereas you know eternal sunshine or I'm thinking of ending things. I think those are things people are more likely to watch just while they're like looking for something on Netflix. Or maybe they're ashamed of because you got the dude bros that don't want to go watch Twilight and they wait until they get home to watch it. 
most a subject we haven't gotten into and i don't know if we really need to or not is is cult classics most cult classics were not popular when they were released most weren't it's just factual it most classics were not popular when they released and you know going on what you talked about Sully, i think that you kind of hit the nail on the head something that i thought about a long time ago you know we talked about it last session our last episode you know, when Gone with the Wind came out, it was the only movie that came out for a couple months. Now we've got, you know, on a good year when COVID's not happening, we're not in the middle of a pandemic. Movies are you know, 12 or 13 new releases each week, you know, mm-hmm. and it kind of goes back to the same theme of we're bombarded with movies. But nobody. OK, that's not true. Most people still might only go <laughs> see a movie once a month. I don't so, know that. Yeah, I mean, you well, don't. the last two years not in are an exception. Taking the two years yeah. out of the equation, most people don't do that anyway, and that's why I think that that the that point is you can't use that point. That point's moot. Yeah, it's it's people make the decisions that they want mm-hmm. based on what's come out. I well, have, now that there's no rush to have to go see something or. Right. Whatever, especially with the rise of streaming platforms where you can do it from the comfort of your own home while you're, right. you know, munching on some McDonald's or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you missed Gone with the Wind, you weren't going to see it. Yeah, that was and that was another like tacking on to that point is it, that was the only chance you were getting for a while unless it was being screened in another time, another somewhere else, because you didn't have the just go buy a VHS or DVD and watch it when it's released again. Where's my fucking gun with the wind Blu-ray? My final point that I wanted to bring up, which is going to come full circle, and Kyle, you almost, you almost, almost already ruined it. (laughs) This is, I'm going to lead into this, and we'll talk about it for a second, but it's going to lead into my answer to the overall question. I looked up the winners for the best movie of the last 20 years. Okay? Mm -hmm. I did some research on them. In the last 20 years, every single movie that won Best Picture was in the top 100 most grossing films. Makes sense. Okay. Yeah. The last time that a remake or a reboot or a sequel or a prequel won Best Picture was 2003. Wow. Huh. And it was Return of the King. Yeah. Every movie going backwards. Let's look. Let's, let's just really quick. Let's go backwards. So nobody even knows because nobody watched the Academy Awards this year, but Nomadland. <laughs> I don't even One know what best picture. I didn't either, to be honest with you. But once I actually looked into it, I knew what it was. It's uh, Francis McDermott, and it's basically it's some it, woman is widowed, and she turns her life around and starts. She just becomes a nomad. She just starts traveling. It's like a coming of age story, or like mm-hmm. finding yourself. Okay. Last year, at the 2020, was Parasite. Mm-hmm. Oh, a foreign yeah. film. Okay, foreign film, which oh, doesn't I happen a, very often. Real quick. I want to make a point. I knew you wanted to talk about foreign films, and I (laughs) this is perfect. Just real quick, foreign films are incredible. You should be watching them. Sorry, I munched on some Skittles, but I would like to taste the rainbow. Taste your rainbow. If you come over here, I'll spit it in your mouth. Delicious. Mm. We can swap it on our tongues. Parasite, incredible. Yes, so good. We've known that Japan makes really good shit. Mm. I mean, literally. Well, yeah, this is Korean, but. It's like switching. We know that another country, Japan, makes great shit. The Demon Slayer movie just came out and it played over here and it was one of the highest grossing movies of all time. Because it's just fucking phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Korea, specifically going back to Korea, 
they just put Squid Game out on Netflix, mm-hmm. written by a by a Korean writer. Mm-hmm. Holy fucking shit! It's incredible. It's it it's, it's like nine hours of crazy shit that is better than any movie I've seen in the last like fucking two years of that genre. I should say it's it's fucking phenomenal. So while we're gonna sit here and probably shit on. Hollywood movies, absolutely go give foreign films a chance if you haven't already. Suck it up. Read some fucking subtitles, you loser. Mm-hmm. And I have to ha- give Hollywood one credit that Korea has not done yet, though, and that is the 555 credit of we do not legally, we are not legally allowed to post a address, license plate number, or phone number that is oh. someone's actual phone number yeah. or license plate or address. Squid had a couple of phone numbers that got blown up because they yeah. were on the card. And they basically told her, get a new number, suck it up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That was my quick point. I don't need to tell you guys Squid Game's great. I don't need to tell you Parasite's great. Netflix will tell you, don't you worry. I mean, (laughs) they are, they're great. They're phenomenal. They're they're good, I enjoyed them. Foreign films have been in... This topic is more near and dear to my heart than it is you two. That's not... Uh, How dare no, you? that's no question so, I, there's just, i'm just the purest I, here you guys no. have no fucking chance i no, no, am no. the cool one i promise no, no, no. no i would no, no i would no. say that fox is the perfect middle ground because kyle um i mean this with all the love in my heart you are a critic i am the opposite i do, i'm not a very good critic i i'm very bad at seeing the bad things i try and ignore them and i think fox is very good in the middle ground as he can see the bad things appreciate that they are bad and give them the whatever thing that they're they deserve while also enjoying the movie back up that was not my point my point was that i'm just giving you shit yeah no no i i know i i mean i movies been a part of my life since i was a little kid they're my favorite medium they always have been Foreign films, just on foreign films real quick, foreign films have been in mainstream American film media for a long time. They just haven't gotten the play that they have in the last 10, 15 years. I mean, we've got on this list in the last 10 years, two films are are foreign films Mm -hmm. winning Best Picture at the Oscars. Absurd. That's unheard of. And there have been several in the last 30 That probably should have. That's probably some capitalist bullshit than it is. Yeah. Or some racist bullshit. There's some things, there's things changing and things. I mean, look, I mean, like going down the list, Nomadland, Parasite, Green Book, which is a, it's an adaptation of an old, it's a jazz pianist, Don Shirley. It's it's his story. The Shape of Water, you could argue is is a foreign film. It wasn't, it was made here, but it was Guillermo del Toro. I mean, it's that story has been retold 700 times, but it's, it's, it's an original IP. Moonlight, if you guys have ever seen Moonlight, a fantastic movie. Spotlight is a story about, you know, the Boston Globe. Birdman, which I think that, Kyle, you need to watch if you haven't seen it yet. That was 2015's winner. And then we get into 12 Years a Slave in 2014. Argo, yes. Um, The Artist, which is an old black and white. It's a French film that won in 2012. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Thomas Langman, great guy. The King's Speech. Hurt Locker, Slumdog Millionaire, No Country for Old Men, The Departed, Crash, Million Dollar Baby. I mean, these are all, none of these are Marvel movies. None of these are Harry Potter movies. None of these yeah. are movies that are big, giant, multi-hundred million dollar budget films that are winning. I don't even, 
Kyle even touched on that. If you ask anybody what their favorite movie is, not a single person is going to say one of the Marvel movies. But that's not wrong. That's not true at all. Oh, I, there, there might be there might be some people out there that those are probably hardcore Marvel fans. I'm yeah. saying the average person when they think about those, I don't need when I think about what my favorite movie is, those aren't even in consideration because I don't consider them that same quality or I, w- I shouldn't say quality, same class of movie. I. I See those as those are comic book. Those are comic mm-hmm. books put into on the screen. I don't really mm-hmm. consider those movies like I mm-hmm. do like other movies. I I think for me it comes through a distinction of like movies and film, which sounds so stupid. But I I so as someone that literally just listed a fucking Marvel movie as one of my favorite movies of all time, I think it's okay to have both as favorites. But I will say that most people when I ask them their favorite movie they tend to go to something a little smarter, something that requires a little bit more effort. And I don't know if that's just because it sounds cooler to say those movies or if they, you know, they legitimately feel a different way. But I, I do stand by my point initially that I think that that idea puts us in a position where, where we can deal with those heavier movies. I don't know mm-hmm. if I would take it that far. Um, I, I wouldn't even consider Spider-Verse to be the Hollywood Marvel movie that I'm thinking like all the Iron Man movies, all the, like that feels like more of an independent thing than, than those. Like when, when you say that, I remember you saying that, but when I think of the Marvel movies, I don't even consider Spider-Verse to be a quote unquote Marvel movie. I'm classing all of those like Mm -hmm. big screen sequels. This is part of our so-and-so project. I feel like that was more of an independent project done by people that actually care more about the IP than they do about making money. I think both of those are both are true statements because it is part of the MCU, but it was made by a different team. It was made by a team that that put a lot of love into it. Not that the other ones weren't don't weren't love love weren't put into them. I just it it just happened to have both true for that. I think that's very telling. You can absolutely go on the street and find somebody that says that their favorite movie is Iron Man Two. I can guarantee you, I could go out there tomorrow and find somebody promise but and then you can slap them really really it's, hard it is, yeah you can fucking tell them it and it's, 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 it's <laughs> a free market people can do whatever the fuck they want they can yeah. like whatever they want but i mean the point is and to end this sentence with my answer to this question is that we've in a nutshell proven that even though yes we've been kind of flooded oh mostly especially in the last 15 years as statistics say we've been flooded with remakes with sequels prequels but the movies are still there. The, the unique movies, the original story, the original stories told there, they are there. They're, they're getting the, the love they deserve. They are making money. They're winning awards. And anybody that thinks that Hollywood is lost, it's touch is honestly lost touch with reality. I, fuck, I don't know if I'd go that far. I think they're just, you're, you've lost. No, cause well, so here's my answer. Okay. When you when you think about if Hollywood is still creative at all, if that's mm-hmm. that's the that's the important part is still creative. Yeah, duh, of course. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like the gaming industry where there's so much shit. There's so much just OK shit, but there's always going to be those those great games that come out every now and again. Mm-hmm. And of course, the film industry is going to be the same way. But if your question is instead, is it less creative? I 100 percent believe so. Those movies are happening, but they're absolutely outnumbered by bigger, more mindless films. And I think, you know, even just that stat you brought up where each film is a sequel or a prequel, 
there is potential for those sequels or prequels to be good. But the thing is, a lot of those sequels or prequels are for series like a like a Marvel series that is essentially just going to bring in a lot of money and not mentally stimulate anybody for any reason. So I would say Hollywood is absolutely getting less creative. There's still creativity there. There's still a lot of people that make great things in Hollywood. But I would say comparatively, yeah, it's way worse now than it used to be, which brings me to my point where I, I think it's ridiculous to say that people are out of touch with reality if they think it's not creative, because I can absolutely see where that's coming from. 100% seeing that decline. I understand why some people would say, yeah, 100%. Fuck yeah. Just because of, of the sheer outnumbering there is. Do I think it's not creative at all? No, absolutely not. There's so much creativity happening in important projects but i think there's a lot more that just doesn't try to be created and is just there to pull in money i think my answer was more geared at a specific type of person that believes that movies are now bad like the person and, that wrote that article yeah and i have i've had it stems from an, an emotional response that i've had emotional conversations with friends of mine and you know that I've been having for years that are movie connoisseurs that I go round and round with because, you know, they don't go see Marvel movies. They don't go see anything in the theater because nothing is good anymore and everything's terrible. And that just sounds there, like depression. There, well, they sit <laughs> yeah. in their basement and they rewatch Star Wars and they rewatch this and that because everything that sounds terrible. like depression. Well, it's 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 just lazy. It's just giving up. It's it's not you're not wrong. I agree with you. I just don't No, I'm agreeing with you, Kyle. Yeah. Like I just don't. It makes me mad when people think that there are not movies that are being made that are. Oh just yeah. Wonderful. Well, and those are, there's an, those are an entire subset of people that just aren't going to be happy no matter what. Yeah. So, and it's, it's so frustrating. People, and it's the same people that still live in their, like the nineties kids. And I know Kyle, you don't fit into that but you have your own version of it because every generation has their own version of it, of just that nostalgia of all these amazing things. And then you go back. I kind of have and, the 90s nostalgia. I got to live through a good chunk of the 90s. Yeah, I'm, I mean, just in general of like, like I had 10 years in it and I remember all these stupid little things and I'm quote unquote in that whatever, but I don't yeah. even consider like all that stuff nostalgic. I just like, yeah, I remember it. Pogs, like I had Pogs, but I don't know what the fuck to do with them. <laughs> but it's just there's there's always going to be this level of nostalgia, when, and then when you look back on it and you actually think about it, it's not it's not as great as you remember, or it's not as great as you want to hype it up to be. And I think a lot of the people that think that Hollywood's lost its creativity to the point it's not even worth going out to see any movies anymore are so stuck in the past as well. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. that's probably a big issue. It's just, yeah, I think that's a big point. Yeah. Nostalgia. nostalgia. It really carries a lot. Fucking nostalgia, man. So, Sully, mm -hmm. final answer. Final I answer. Would say, I would say creativity has shifted. I would say that the movie industry has learned algorithms in order to chug out garbage that makes money, and it has saturated some of the market, but there is still the availability, and I believe that some of the award systems that we have for the for creative projects like films are going to help us stay reminded like you listed off those things i've only seen about half of those movies 
and that we need to actually, I guess, put a little bit more emphasis on some of those awards and actually pay attention to what is new and not so much of the nerd hype of the prequels and the sequels and all that other garbage. And And honestly, it is so wild to me that I more consistently find engaging creative content on YouTube of all places than I do out of these huge million dollar productions out of Hollywood. That's, that's not a the topic dis- for another discussion. Oh, it totally is. It absolutely is. But to just to just make the point, you know, I've seen more gripping stories told on YouTube mm-hmm. by people with a fraction of the budget. And it's it's kind of crazy to me. I mean, maybe that's something to be said about less people aspiring to be filmmakers because they can make their dreams come true or make their creations real with the power of the technology they have. And that's that's another episode, but something I, on me. It's I, you know, Sully, I think you, you kind of, you kind of killed it a little bit there. You, you nailed it. I, I love the MCU. If we're, if we're singling out the MCU, cause we have this entire time. I love those Marvel movies. I get hype every time there's a new one. There are two new trailers to drop today, guys. I don't yeah. know if you noticed there was a trailer for, well, there's a little snippet of the black Adam movie from the yeah. DC, which is, which is DCU. And then the Batman one came out, which is DCU. And that was the second trailer for the for the Batman. It's about two minutes long. It's fantastic. It's phenomenal. Uh, it's the and the next. I mean, this will be what the fourth iteration of Batman in the last ten years. Yeah, yeah. I am so hyped <laughs> for it. Am I gonna watch it and call it my favorite movie of all time? No. Bring oh. back the bat nipples. <laughs> the bat. I just, you know, <laughs> kind of what Kyle said earlier. You know, those his favorite movies that Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind. Those classics, those wonderful films have never, they're never really in the forefront. They're never going to beat the MCU movies that come out that year. But you're going to find them later. Yeah. And you can, with that fact alone, you can't say that there isn't people making wonderful original content in Hollywood. I just, you just can't. And it breaks my heart when people say that there are, because... There's just so much. There's so much stuff. There's so much to consume, and I love it. I love every minute of it. Ah, oh, well, good chatting, boys. Audience, hope you guys are hanging in there, having a good ass time. I love you very much. We're gonna take a little break, listen to some tunes, and we'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the second episode of Hoodlums. We made it. I have a question for you two boys today for show and tell. You ready? Yeah. Are you sure, are you sure you're ready? Show I'm always tell. ready for you. Okay. Well, speaking of movies, have either of you watched hit 2007 film Zodiac? I have not seen the film. Are you fucking with me? No, I haven't seen it. I'm setting this up and you're going to fucking you're going to ruin me like that. I I know about the killer, but I have not seen the film. Fox, you've seen the film, right? I'm sorry, man. You're fucking with me. Oh, I'm so sorry. You're I didn't know I had homework. There's no way you didn't. We, oh, my God. Zodiac uh, is fucking classic. It's so it, good. It's always been on my radar just because Mark Ruffalo's in it. And I'm going to make you guys fucking watch this movie. I've been told. Hell, we can watch it tonight. I don't care. But I have been told to always watch it. It's just one of those that I just never got around to watching it. Oh, it's so good. Okay. Well, anyway, 
so much for that tie-in. Good movie, I guess. Watch it if you haven't. 2007 hit film Zodiac. Yeah, uh, and it got rave reviews. So yeah, so so it's based on the idea of the Zodiac killer. And if you've been living under a rock for the past fucking 20 years, or I mean later, honestly, the Zodiac killer is a pseudonym of a serial killer who operated in California in the late 60s, I think it was. He's known specifically for leaving a trail of five unsolved murders, specifically between 1968 and 1969. The biggest reason why he's famous that that I gather, the way the reason that I've always known him is that he used cryptography, which is a method of hiding messages in code or in plain sight to confuse police and avoid identification until now. Wow. This is huge, right? Oh, yeah, no, it's it, huge. no, it is massive. Like, it actually there's been is huge. so many theories and people that were suspects that they didn't have enough to actually like throw them yep. in the claim. So, there's a lot that goes into it. This all started when a couple weeks ago, an independent group of cold case investigators, which is like comprised of old detectives and police officers and shit they their name is the case breakers and they say they have proof that their man who i'm not going to name because these are all still allegations um the fbi and the police as also as i'll talk more about later do not think this is the right answer but they think that their man was involved in the killing of sherry bates who is a woman that has been historically attributed to the zodiac and their evidence includes evidence from this man's dark room. So the place that he went to develop is uh, photography. Striking physical resemblance to the famous Zodiac sketch. The one that everyone's probably seen without knowing they've seen it. Mm-hmm. There's a scar on his forehead that is super similar to the drawing. It's, it's very pronounced. And they even found new ways to decipher his classic messages using the suspect's name itself to reveal alternate messages in the cipher. So back in December of 2000, a team of computer scientists or data scientists or something came together and managed to crack the Zodiac Killer's code, just all of it. They cracked it wide open and they thought it was done, but the case breakers have used this guy's name to substitute letters and come up with alternate messages from some of these Zodiac codes, which is crazy. And it shows that it was deeper than people thought initially. I guess that was Uh, the big issue is they thought he was a crackpot or a lunatic and that it was all just a farce because they tried for so long and couldn't get anything out of it but yeah absolutely i mean it was it's crazy it's it's a fucking cultural phenomenon which is mostly why hit 2000 film 2007 film zodiac was such a hit when it came out make sure you watch it uh it is worth noting however that the fbi is still calling it an open case and the Police department from the place that it happened in Southern California is also still saying it's an open case. The police department in question allegedly debunked Banks's murder being in connection with the Zodiac in August of this year. And then they called the case breakers effort later circumstantial. So they don't they don't believe in it. They think it's a bunch of shit. But Bill Proctor, who is one of the main members of the case breakers says that their so-called debunking comes from a place of ego and arrogance, to quote him. According to Proctor, the police department covering the case has been entirely silent the entire time. They haven't said anything about anything that they're investigating. They've never turned to the public beyond saying, hey, here's a here's a bounty if you can give us information about it. And that, you know, allegedly, 
thinking they know better than anyone else that would bring things to the police department. And a lot of people are sold on the findings from the case breakers. A lot of people think it's enough. They think it's good. But to rain on everyone's parade, the Zodiac killer that they found died in 2018. He was old as fuck. He withered away, ash into the wind like some fucking Disney movie or like the Avengers. It's incredible. Basically means got away with it. Yeah, exactly. But there's something a little bit more interesting. So we've set the stage and everything else is kind of something you'd expect. But the Internet just recently found a man from the same town that this man was living in that has been pretty famous on social media recently for posting pictures of him with the suspect that the case breakers named. And he would post pictures with this old man all over his Facebook for years and say, hey, you know, we're friends, we're chilling, we're hanging out. And on every picture he posted, he would write Zodiac question mark on it. Shit. This is before any sort of any sort of unveiling of these findings before they even had the answer. This man was posting on Facebook questioning whether the suspect was the Zodiac. Beyond that, posts have also been found of his on message boards, making open claims that the man in question is indeed the killer and drawing connections from the man's the man to the man's friends who were also uh, in this case implicated in certain things but regardless so the theories behind it possibly being more than one person or that he had help yeah is exactly. more feasible yeah like i know the the initials rh are important somewhere in the zodiac case and the guy in the message boards was able to say oh it was suspect's name and his best friend when the days he was running around was this and just gave a full ass name just fucking put this guy on blast but it's it's been kind of it's been kind of cold for about a week or two now just because the fbi is saying it's an open case and they're saying that they have nothing to announce and they're not buying it but i mean what do you guys think when you have someone's name that unveils alternate messages in one of the hardest ciphers of all time i I almost think that in itself is enough to lock the guy away well that, well, that was part of the whole thing was he gave those ciphers because he wanted to give police a chance. This, this guy, if you're not aware of his psychological profile, is basically an incel who attacked couples. And he was a nerd on the 13th century. If you take all of if you take his cryptography, his symbol, his name, all that stuff, like he uses that a circle with the cross through it. That's not crosshairs. It's the sun cross. And it was very common in yeah. uh, 13th century lore and all that crap. And he was basically just an incel nerd in the 60s. And he got mad at and he was angry and he attacked couples. It was always couples. And so that makes you think he's upset that he can't that they're happiness. And if you can somehow pull in people that knew him or some proof of this was a hobby of his like so if you can connect his psychological profile on top of that and that's hard to do uh, but he's got to have some journals some thing that shows that he was a nerd about those things at the very least yeah. then you'd have a strong case especially considering if his name is the is an actual key for the cipher the whole point yeah. of the ciphers was to give the police a chance because every incel is has this feeling of superiority <laughs> and they think that they are smarter than everyone around them and so if they're going to throw an answer of some kind at the police then if their name is the actual answer and that's how gung-ho they are about come at me bro then it's got to have some merit i 
Well, he wanted it, the big thing with the Zodiac killer that I remember is that he like it seemed like he wanted to be captured. He yeah, was well, one of his like, messages. Wanted... Sorry to cut you off. One of his messages literally said, "I'm not afraid of the gas chamber because it'll bring me to paradise more quickly." Yeah, he thought that his his victims would be his slaves in the afterlife. Mm-hmm. I remember reading that. Like he was like, "Yeah, I'm not afraid of any of this stuff because you're just going to send me to the afterlife sooner and." These these people that I've killed are going to be my slaves. So I don't care. You can kind of tell when you see some of the pictures that were posted on Facebook of this younger guy and the alleged Zodiac killer. This man looks like he wished he had died years ago. <laughs> he was so old, but like there was no happiness in his face and his eyes. He always looked like he was like, someone strike me down, please. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. but. Something tells me he did kind of like give it away to his friends or talk to him about it. I feel like otherwise, why would the guy be questioning it? Because it's not like like he had it out for him. Somebody like that is never going to stop. Pestering, right? You're not just going to get over the psychological imbalance that you have. That is taunting your pursuers in this way. Yeah, you're not just that's just not going to end. So I, I don't know. I mean, there's so much sur- surrounding this. I mean, this is considered to be one of the most one of the most famous unsolved murder cases yeah. ever. And it's, I mean, so we, we we've got what five confirmed dead, two that survived, twenty or so cold cases that they think might be linked to him, and he is claimed to have killed thirty seven. Yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah. I just. That's just insane. And as far as these, this like we, this whole group. What did you, what did you call them? <laughs> the, the case like, that's another topic. That's another. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I feel I want to put my faith in the justice system, and when uh, the FBI or whoever is going, look, we don't, we don't know, we don't, we don't back any of this. I want to say, okay, fine. You know, I don't want to put my faith in, but what I'm, I'm reading here, 40 former law enforcement investigators, which you can't, that's a, that's a big, that's a big deal. Like yeah. law enforcement, they're still doing it, they're doing it for the fun of it. Journalists. Yeah. Right. But they're all, yeah, exactly. I don't know enough to say that I can take that seriously or not uh, take it seriously. I just I'll don't know. To be honest, approaching it from that perspective. I mean, just from all the documentaries I've seen of of the FBI or the police force or even the government just fucking something beyond all recognition. It happens often, and mm-hmm. I it's gotten to the point where I almost don't trust it myself, it's especially considering a lot of the stuff that... This is a whole different fucking episode, but that the government has, has told us that is lied about, not even just like not told about, but lied about specifically. There's a lot that goes into not trusting them for me. I think there's a lot that these people have and I'm honestly in the in love with this idea of a group of people coming together to solve this because they love the idea of that and them actually getting it. Something about that is just, oh, I fucking love that so much. Um, yeah, it would but be specifically, awesome. his name being part of the cipher is crazy. Like, it's something that you never would have figured out unless you had his name. Mm hmm. And it's it's just kind of wild that it's it so many things have come together just recently to kind of point towards that. 
And it's not even just the case breakers. The this guy posting on Facebook was a totally separate thing that people I think on Reddit found. The case breakers didn't even know about this guy. And just when the case breakers news came out, people started looking up that old guy's name and found those Facebook posts connected to the other guy because he was tagged in them on Facebook. And <laughs> Zodiac question mark all over it. But what I gather when I read about it when it happened <laughs> is that they were all kind of from this smaller town in Southern California or no Northern California. Mm-hmm. and it was the kind of town where your business is your business and you're not going to go snitch on somebody and they just led a life with that old man doing his thing but you just imagine him at the bar going through like dementia telling everybody he's a zodiac <laughs> killer and them just laughing at him yeah or like i can imagine them walking out of the hit 2007 film zodiac in the movie theater <laughs> and just him being like just yo be safe out there okay <laughs> i just can't i just can't get over somebody like that in that with that sort of trauma or whatever psychological issues just turning that off for 15 i don't years. well i mean the well, other thing is a lot this of it's, guy is he's smart clearly to be able to do all this this cryptography stuff he's a former air force vet so he probably had some shit from while he was in the service yeah. that kind of affected him but when you're smart like that you can put a mask on like that 100 and the thing is we don't even know how much he was hiding it while he was there we don't know if that's, he maybe met someone that pulled him away from it or if maybe classic it's classic realization where that, that's that's where a lot of these serial killers who were out and about and no one understood that that's what they did and they and you ask people that knows like oh they seem like a normal normal person that's just a lot of these people are so mentally broken that they are able to compartmentalize and pretend that when they are doing these heinous things, that's a different person or that's a different aspect or we don't think about that. And when they go about their day, that part of them is just gone. It doesn't exist. It's kind of like when you play crucible and you, you move on and it's like that never happened. (laughs) I mean, but there are true psychopaths out there that just feel no remorse for shit like that. That, Mm act from a total place of of just like intelligent decision and they just don't feel anything human in that regard those those people yeah those people absolutely exist and maybe he was one of those i mean who knows what i will say is regardless of whether the fbi or the police won't confirm or deny or whatever this is the most evidence i've ever seen towards any one person Mm -hmm. definitely more than the fbi or the police have presented and clearly they're not getting anywhere with it. <laughs> Probably not even putting a lot of time into it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, shit. As as terrible as it would be for him to be the wrong man, they do have a lot of fucking evidence against him. And he's already dead, so who cares, right? <laughs> that might be part of it, is if they have to publish that they never found him and it was too late and he got away with it, that's bad publicity. and. You can't oh, have bad publicity yeah. when you're the police. That is actually a thing. It's they never, can? yeah. So it's that that's there's so many things that is either non-response or covered up because of someone screw up in the system. And even if it's a failure to find someone in time to have justice, like there there's so many topics and examples I can give of all sorts of things, all the way down to JFK of all just all these things that are just just basically cover-ups of information that we're not given because we don't want to let you know that there was an accident, that there was one little slip-up that shouldn't have happened because we put someone that wasn't qualified in a situation to handle something 
because we were short-staffed and we weren't willing to admit that we were short-staffed or we were underfunded. And it just, it all comes down to just people trying to be human and not willing to, to be vulnerable and say, we need help. We need this, we need that. And they care more about their public opinion than they do about getting a solution. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Final thoughts, anybody? I mean, I've kind of poured out everything I had to say about it. Fox. I, this is going to sound terrible, but I'm going to say it anyway for, 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 for lack of just for sake of entertainment. I don't give a shit. Yeah. If this guy, he's, he, he's dead, right? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter. I mean, it, it, I just, you know, some things just go left unanswered, you know, I mean, they never figured out who Jack the Ripper was. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, they it's it happens. And I think it's weird. That these 40 retirees. Have gotten together and this is what they're sinking their life into. Really? I just. Yeah, I. If this were a thing that we're still going right, like. We're still getting letters from this guy. He's still killing people. All right. Yeah. But I look at it from a perspective of the victims' families. And I'm sure that some of the family members are like, I want justice. Let's find him. Absolutely. This is phenomenal. But I tend to look at it also that I'm sure that a lot of these family members are like, can we, it's over. Can we put it to bed? Yeah. I think in, and, in some murder cases, I think that's true. In fact, most of them. But in this case, to me, looking at the Zodiac Killer and trying to overcome that feels like this obstacle that most people just believe will never be solved. Mm-hmm. And the idea of taking that on and doing that and figuring it out, that's a fucking rush. That's crazy. You did it. You figured out who the fucking Zodiac Killer was. You did what all these super fucking mm-hmm. incredibly smart and resourceful people couldn't in the past. And it, I mean, even with the Zodiac Killer as a sort of media icon from hit 2000 film, 2007 film Zodiac, I mean, there's there's a lot to it. And even beyond that, I know of a lot of groups of people that get together to, to you know, to solve mysteries, to crack codes and shit. And it's because it's it's fun to play detective. I, I love it myself. I mean, it's it's why ARGs are such a big thing on the Internet. People get together and they they crack codes and they solve mysteries because they they want to make progress. They want to commit themselves to something challenging and something mentally focused and you know, try to figure it out cuz it it's satisfying. It feels good. I totally get it. Especially if you're a retiree, what the fuck else you got to do? <laughs> enjoy life. But if that's there ain't nothing the to enjoy gonna, after if that's the way might be their enjoyment. Life. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I I could definitely see myself doing the same thing when I got that old. 100%. That would be if better than showing up to play fucking re- bingo. If we're still able to retire by the time we hit retirement age. But oh, that's yeah. another topic. <laughs> wow. The biggest thing that upsets me about this, especially if it turns out to be true, is that I will no longer be able to keep accusing Ted Cruz of being me. <laughs> okay, well, oh, well, I mean, I can. Okay, well, anyway, on that note, probably call it. Uh, Ted Cruz, if you're out there, <laughs> oh my god! If you're watching this, I wow! If Ted Cruz, we're winning. Suck my dick, you little fucking gremlin. 
Zodiac Killer. There it is. There Any final thoughts, anybody? No. Mm-mm. No. Movies. Go see them. Go check Movies. them out. Don't also. Go watch the the heavy budget ones. Go research. Go yeah. Like Zodiac Killer from 2007. The 2007 hit film Zodiac. Also, listen to the first episode of Hoodlums. We talked about video games and creativity and fun and all that shit. Sully talked about idioms. It was a good time. You can find that on Spotify right now, soon to be on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find me on Twitter if you would like to come see me, Kyle, at Kyle underscore XCVI. Fox, I don't know if you want to throw yours out there. You fill for a second because I got to remember what my Twitter feed is. MySpace.com slash Texan. MySpace.com slash Mark Zuckerberg. You can find me. Yep. Twitter, my Twitter is at TheFoxLTD. Cool. And then Sully would rather send a fucking piece of paper up with a pigeon. Yeah, I'll put yep. my phone number up later and send me nude. <laughs> yeah, just call, just call me. Let's be oh old fashioned. Call my landline. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, on a serious note, if you guys are listening, thank you so much. We love you. I hate these two, but I, I do love you if you're a big attention. Oh, babe. What are you? He doesn't say anything nice to you. <laughs> not one fucking nice thing did he just no, say. Not a nice thing at all. All right. Fuck out of here, Craig. <laughs> Fuck you.